Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are getting into 10 big questions this week for the Knicks before we get into training camp, which is so close to happening. Gavin, today we're getting into our first three questions. Yeah, it's all about Jalen Brunson this episode. Does he have another level? And in turn, will the Knicks have consistent point guard play for the first time in, I don't know, two decades? We'll get into all that and more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We wanted to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you guys making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster, working hard through the high school football season. One of the best times of the year if you're if you're someone who's ever covered sports for a living. But uh, Gavin, one of the other best times of the year uh, for us is when the Knicks get back to playing basketball again. When we go from having to talk about Donovan Mitchell trade rumors all summer to actually getting to see something happen on the court. And we're getting very, very close to that. Training camp is right around the corner. And with that comes a lot of questions that we're going to want answered. Uh, We wrote out all of our questions, five each, to come to a grand total of 10 that we're going to do throughout the course of this week in a bunch of different episodes. Uh, But Gavin, your your one question was our first one that we're going to lead with today, so I'll let you read that off and get the ball rolling here with some Jalen Brunson action. Yeah, I mean, we we spent so much time this summer, unfortunately, focusing on a star guard that the Knicks didn't get. Uh, Now we get to talk about the one that they they actually pulled off, and and after uh, months and months of hype, like maybe maybe we're forgetting about it now. But we we actually got our guy. Uh, It's Jalen Brunson. Um, And the first question I had is, does he have another level? And what made me think of that was this was a little later in the guy's career, but my favorite player growing up, Steve Nash, a Mavs guard. He was underappreciated by Mark Cuban. He was lowballed by Mark Cuban. Um, and he said, you know what? I, I love I love the European superstar I get to play with, but I'm going to take my talent somewhere else, see what I can do as the number one guy. And uh, that worked out pretty well. Two MVPs, Western Conference Finals appearance, uh, revolutionizing basketball with the seven seconds or less offense is Jalen Brunson, Steve Nash. I don't think so. I, I don't, I think Nash is just one of the, uh, one of the most creative players of all time. Um, even though he didn't shoot a lot, one of the pure shooters in NBA history, but there is some, some Nashian qualities to Jalen Brunson. He, he is, I don't, I know not. He is, he has elite craft, right? He was one of the best isolation scorers in the NBA last year he you watch the film on him he 
quite literally, like it's almost like, I mean, ironically, he's a great post player, but it's almost like the great post players of the past, your Hakeem Olajuwon's, your Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, where he seemingly puts guys in a torture chamber and and just gets into these one-on-one situations where he strings together one, two, three, four moves, and you can stick with him for the first three. And then on the fourth, he makes you look stupid over and over and over again. And we saw in in this past playoffs against the Utah Jazz, we had those two incredible games and by and large without Luka Doncic, led them past Donovan Mitchell, led them past Rudy Gobert, operating as the number one guy for a good chunk of that series. And when I when I asked that question, does he have another level? I'll, I'll posit this to you, Alex. Are, are we even thinking another level off of what he did in the regular season? Basically, can he be the guy he was in the playoffs consistently? Or can he get even better than what he flashed this postseason? And is there a guy who could average 26 points per game with his skill set? Is there a guy who could average 8, 9, 10 assists when he's the primary ball handler instead of Beluga Doncic? What is left on the table with Jalen Brunson? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so there are certain things that we know that he's incredibly good at, right? Like shooting at the rim per cleaning the glass, 93rd percentile. He shot 68% there, which is somehow a step down from when he shot 72% uh, at the rim the year prior, which uh, of course puts him in that that category as a, a combo guard um, as far as the, the percentile goes. But I mean, all in all, his efficiency is just fantastic. You know, he, he shot... 59% effective field goal percentage uh, in 2021. And then unlike his potentially future teammate, barring uh, some other move, you know, in the next few weeks here, Julius Randle, he pretty much carried that over to last season as well. I mean, he had a little bit of a drop off in, in certain, uh, you know, accuracies, like he dropped to 55% uh, in effective field goal percentage, which is a, a, for those that don't know, is a, basically a field goal percentage that takes into account that threes are worth more than twos. Uh, so it, you know, averages out your, your field goal percentage in that way. But, you know, he also shot in the 89th percentile for mid range, you know, in the 80th percentile from long mid range. Um, you know, he's in all threes. Maybe I guess that's like his least desirable part of his skill set, And yet even that he was in the 60th percentile, which means, you know, he's, he's pretty good there too. So like, and, and just to, to clarify that that's amongst point guards, that, that's not amongst like everyone in the NBA. That mm-hmm. means at the position that generally shoots the best, he's better than average. Yes. Yeah. As a, co- a combo guard, I think is technically what they put him at yeah. as their like category, but yeah, like among guards, that's, that's where he ranks. So, I mean, I, does he have another gear other than what he showed in the playoffs? I, if, I struggle to say that he could be much better than that. I mean, if he comes out and plays that well for as long as a whole season, then the Knicks already have a huge bargain contract on their hands with this much maligned deal where he makes like $27 million a year. Uh, you know, they're, <laughs> they're getting a huge bargain then because he's going to be like the 14th highest paid point guard in the NBA. And I mean, in that series against the Jazz, he was the best player. You know, better than the guy that the Knicks were just linked to all summer for trade talks and Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he took Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and everybody on the Jazz absolutely to school and destroyed them. I mean, it, it, he was far and away the best player in that series. Came to earth a little bit in the Sun series. Um, and then obviously things didn't work out against the Warriors very well for the whole team. But that was the eventual NBA champions they were facing. So, you know, 
it is what it is there, I guess. But, you know, I think if he could put together 20 points, like five boards, six assists, seven assists, something like that, I, I think that's already, you know, the Knicks have a, a crazy value contract on their hands and have a guy that can reasonably lead their team and be like a, let's say, a number two scoring option. Let's say RJ can turn into that number one option that they want him to be. But like, you know, a guy that can reasonably score you like 30 points on any given night, I think that would be a great next step for him. Um, you could argue that he could already score 30 on any given night, but, you know, it was much less likely. You know, like that playoff run took – I don't, I don't want to say it took everybody by surprise in the sense that nobody thought he was capable of it, but, I mean, I think the fact that he put together as many games like that as he did in a row in the playoffs as the featured option with Luka Doncic out was really the eye-opener that ultimately got him the big payday that he got from the Knicks uh, and got the Mavs even, you know, even though they didn't end up signing him, they effectively like doubled what their initial offer was to him uh, to try to retain him. It just wasn't nearly enough to to keep him away from the Knicks. So, yeah, I, as far as what his next gear could be, I don't I don't think he's got a Steve Nash uh, uh, star turn in him either. I don't think we're going to have multiple MVP Jalen Brunson on our hands anytime soon. That said, I mean, if what would you consider it? Would you consider it finding like his playoff next year if he made like I don't know, like two or three All Star teams over the course of his career? Like, I think that's about what I would expect if he manages to sort of bottle up what he did last postseason and keep it for a whole season. And I'd be more than okay with that. And I would consider that a huge, huge win on the Knicks part, even if he made like one All Star appearance and just generally hovered around like twenty points per game. I think that would. That'd be a great career arc for him at this point. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you, and I I think honestly it's shortchanging him to to ask for less than being in the All Star conversation because he is just I, I said it earlier I'll say it again he is just flat out one of the most skilled scorers in all of basketball and and the big question is what is he he hasn't really had to operate outside of that Luka Doncic hemisphere for better or worse his whole career, right? And I mean, obviously it's for the better in that we talk about that three-point efficiency. He got some of the highest quality looks from three-point range of any point guard in the league because he was playing off of Luka, who's a 6'8 savant who, who draws more attention than pretty much any player on planet Earth. But simultaneously, there are real struggles to not being the number one guy and not getting to feel the basketball and, and not getting to get into a rhythm. And I think part of what we saw against Utah was someone who who has this deep bag, but was actually like when you're playing with one of the best scorers on planet Earth, which which Luca is, you you feel pressure every time you take up an isolation possession to I need to justify this. If I'm not perfect, if I don't at least get a high quality look, I'm going to get yelled at because my coach can say, "Hey, just just get the ball to effing Luca and, and let him go, and we'll we'll get good shots." And I think against Utah, he had that freedom to really excel. And we saw someone, again, despite operating in that, who was still insanely efficient on isolation. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued when the ball is put into his hands, partially because of this contract, partially just because the Knicks don't have anyone like that, what he can do with more confidence. And to me, like consistently being in that all-star conversation, I would I would put like a semi-realistic ceiling of 
22 to 24 points per game this year, I don't think is is crazy for him. The big variable, the big elephant in the room is, of course, Julius Randle, whether Julius is, is coming in and saying, hey, I'm the Luca on this team and you got to treat me like that. But that's a that's maybe a conversation for another one of these big questions, Alex. I, I think we should take a quick break and then continue talking about Jalen Brunson. Yeah, so first we'll let everybody know, though, before we get into discussing Jalen Brunson's role on this team, and whether the Knicks can finally find an offensive identity for the first time in forever. But first, I got to let you guys know today's episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? 80% of people have subscriptions they forget about. Maybe for you, it's an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. That's There's the great app I use that helps me track all of my expenses. And because of it, I no longer waste money on subscriptions I don't even use. You might have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. This app shows you all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. And I can attest, they will renegotiate your cable bill for you too, or your internet bill, or whatever. Whatever pesky place like (laughs) Xfinity tries to charge you a ton of money, they'll actually call on your behalf and do that for you. So they did that for me. Uh, You can cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash locked on. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. It literally did for me. That's rocketmoney.com slash locked on. All right, we are back getting into more of our big questions going into training camp. And uh, Gavin, we arranged this in such a way because my first question actually sort of went lockstep with your first question about Brunson uh, and about the role that he could have. And in my case, I'm kind of curious how his role is going to dictate what the Knicks overall do. So my question is this, will finally having a competent point guard for the first time in a really long time allow the Knicks to finally establish an offensive identity. Uh, I I just feel like the Knicks have never been able to find consistent play over the years thanks to focusing a lot on wing ISO offense. If you want to look back to Mello, if you want to look back to obviously Randall in the in the more present uh, scheme of things, even in some of their their less good years, you know the Knicks tend to gravitate towards just kind of putting it in a wing's hand, even if it's like Alexi Shved, and saying, hey, go figure it out. They did the same thing with like Marcus Morris and Julius Randle when they signed those two. It's just, it's a, they did it with Kevin Knox, their tankier. It was a lot of David Fisdale just playing the ball in Kevin Knox's hands and saying, figure it out. And we all saw how that worked out. So it, it, this trend even predates Tibbs. And it's largely, I think, due to the fact that the Knicks have not had like a perfect option at point guard that they could go to and or in the case of last year didn't give that option a chance in a manual quickly for most of the year uh but so do you think that this team could finally develop some sort of an identity on the offensive end like to their credit and the Tibbs's credit they have on the defensive end like do you think that there's something to be said for like just having that stability at point guard finally will allow them to run things a little more traditionally and have Jalen Brunson bring the ball down the floor, have him organize the offense, have him be the catalyst and allow then, you know, instead of having to put the ball in RJ's hands earlier 
allow him to kick it out to RJ on a bent defense already and let him work from that. Or even with Julius Randall, you know, have Randall ready to receive a pass or even running a pick and roll or something, which, you know, I think we both have come to agreement in saying we don't think that's entirely likely, but maybe in an ideal world that could happen. But do you think that the addition of Brunson finally and finally getting that stability at this long-term position in need is, is going to give them the ability to go ahead and, and have an actual offensive identity that's not just essentially like isoing all the time? Yeah, so to me, this is a Julius Randle question more than it is a Jalen Brunson question. Um, whether it's by Randle being off the team or to your point, Randle having a, a sudden and semi-miraculous change of heart in terms of how he views himself as a basketball player, I think that's the only way the offense develops. Um, well, they've had, they, I mean, they had an identity two years ago. And I think last year where it got really muddled was they kind of sort of tried to play that way again. But then some nights it was going to be Kemba ball, right? Like when he had those 40 point games, like it was, it was sort of like, all right, let's, let's run whatever the Charlotte Hornets ran from 2010 to uh, 2018. Um, and then some nights it was Evan Fournier going off and, 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 and some nights it was R.J. Barrett attacking the rim and everyone playing off of him. And that became more and more common throughout the season. We, we've uh, lauded and and uh, maybe got even a little hyperbolic about the seven-game stretch Julius Randle has. I mean, you, you listen – I think if you go back and, and listen to us talking on some of those podcasts, we were so starved for Randle to play well. It, it probably sounded like we were talking about Prime Will Chamberlain. Like, oh, yeah, he was just dominant tonight. You know, there, was, there wasn't really anything you could do to stop him. You could throw three, four guys at him. It wasn't going to happen. Um, that being said, the Knicks had – to your point, seven or eight different offenses last year. And I think Brunson, well, I mean, I, I was just talking about someone who's going to make an all-star team, isn't a, a Luka or a LeBron where he he shapes the entire offense around his skill. And the fact of the matter is the Knicks don't have a single player like that. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I think they're identity could be in their balance. I mean, similar to what we saw from, I, I know you you like to reference this team a lot. I think it was the, I want to say like 15, 16, or maybe 16, 17 Atlanta Hawks, the team with Jeff T, Kyle Korver, um, Al Horford, where they had four all-stars that year. Or, I mean, you could you could look at those those prime Pistons teams in 05 through 07 that had four all-stars. And obviously the Knicks aren't going to have that, but especially in a world where they trade Randall, I think the identity would be a lesser version of that where on any given night, any one of um, Brunson or IQ or Grimes or RJ or Obi or e- even someone like Fournier rose off the bench. They're all capable of scoring 20 points per game. I remember last year, my bold prediction was you'd have five different guys scoring 15 points per game. I'd have to look to see how close they actually came to that. It was probably more like two or may- maybe three at most. Um, but I think this season, honestly, if they move off of Randall, that's realistic. I think their identity will be in their balance. And I think to get to the heart of your question, Jalen Brunson will have far more autonomy to shape that balance. And I think it's the point guard's job, right, to promote that kind of balance if Julius Randle's off this team. And if he isn't, I'm really worried about Brunson getting the chance to to foster that and get everyone cooking because I I think it's just going to be more of the same. Yeah. uh, So for what it's worth, your your preseason prediction last year, only two guys over 15. Oh, geez. That was RJ and Julius at 20. But... Doesn't look good. Close. Right <laughs> yeah. Sort of close, though. Six guys averaged over 11. So, that's I mean, something. you know, that's something. Yeah. Almost I just got a, I got, I got a little, I got a little too, too over my head. If I, if I said 12, maybe we could have gotten. So it. did all of us. So did yeah. all of us. <laughs> um, anywho, uh, yeah, I think I'm with you. I mean, it, it does ultimately come down to Julius Randle. Um, I think that 
unfortunately, he has. Well, you know, it's I say unfortunately, but he did sort of in some way earn how he views himself by having such a great 20 to 21 season. But much like most of us wouldn't be willing to accept the fact that we were only as good as we were because we were shooting in empty gyms and whatever else. And that's like the main reason that we got like an all NBA and all this other stuff. Like, I just feel like he's had a hard time sort of adjusting to like, okay, well, here's how things are now. Buildings are going to be full of 20,000 screaming fans again. And clearly the fans are something that gets on his nerves. Like whether it's an MSG or on the road, like he doesn't like the fans pretty obviously like, or at least the, the noise that they bring the, you know, the, the breaking concentration, I guess, or, or whatever it may be. We saw it multiple times where it seemed like fan interactions were really irking Julius last year, uh, whether it was at the garden or even sometimes on the road. So, you know, I, I, I think it does come down to, is he willing to take a step back and say, all right, maybe I'm maybe in a a not empty gym year. I'm not LeBron James, you know, because that's the only year I've been able to pull this off. Like last year he put up some of the same counting stats, but his efficiency was horrible and his defensive, you know, uh, uh, locking in was even worse than that. Uh, You know, he was just, completely lackadaisical on that end didn't seem super interested in that and all in all he just seemed very resistive to anything that wasn't like julius randall holding the ball for 15 out of 24 seconds on the shot clock one way or the other and that can't happen going forward like he if this is going to work where he's going to be here with brunson and rj and they're going to try to you know like if the knicks uh, go into the season with those three all on the roster like it's not going to work, you know, if Julius is still thinking that he's going to be the the thirty percent usage guy, because in reality it should be spread out between like him, RJ, and Brunson, and really what they should try to be doing is is working on plays together that might require Julius to be the guy that's not the primary person in the action, because like the reality is he's a he's a really big body, like he's really strong, and he could set great screens if he if he. I guess like lowers himself to doing that again, um, you know, and trying to free up RJ in that way and maybe even getting himself a, a little pick and roll dump off as a reward. Uh, there's all kinds of different things that could allow him to succeed while not having him be the engine 24 seven, but also while occasionally calling on him and being like, okay, Julius, like it's the end of the second quarter. And like, we really need a bucket before half, like get, get in your office and go to work. Like, and they're not going to throw like a double or triple team at you because you haven't done this all game. So, you know, you could shoot your mid-range jumpers that you're good at and not have to worry about, you know, a a huge defensive presence crashing on you because they know that's what you're going to do because it's what you do like every possession. So it would all just require a lot of, I guess, just a big serving of humble pie on Julius's part. Is he willing to sit there and say like, okay, I acknowledge that, you know, I, uh, had a bad year last year and was not my best self. And, you know, whether that's on the court, off the court, uh, slightly off the court, as far as like, you know, storming out of that bulls win last year and all that stuff. Like, is he willing to put all those sort of things aside that led to that part of last year being bad and just focus in on the good stuff? I would hope so. I would hope so. And, And, but it does probably come a lot down to him 
But if there is a world where Julius eventually ends up not on the team, whether it's at the beginning of the year or by the trade deadline or whatever the case may be, I'm with you, Gavin. I think there could be a world where the, the Knicks really could have like a number of like 15 point per game scores that can really, you know, hurt opposing defenses on any given night. Yeah, I think I think that's the vision for this team. Um, why don't we step aside one more time and we'll get into one more big question this time, not Jalen Brunson related, but a little bit about the guard that he, he tortured in the first round of the defensive end of the floor. I feel okay saying that now that I know he's not going to be a Nick. That is Donovan Mitchell. Will the legacy of the Knicks missing out on that deal haunt them throughout the season? That next on Locked on Knicks. All right. I know, I know. We promised we weren't going to fixate on Donovan Mitchell uh, going forward. But Alex, this is, this is one of your questions, and I, I think it's a good one, so I'll let you present it. Yeah, so this was this was my second question that I came up with for this little series. And it we probably don't have to spend too much time on it, but it is something that I, I was kind of curious about because I, I often wonder how this stuff uh, looms over locker rooms. And honestly, maybe this will be the next time that Antonio Daniels becomes available to us again. Maybe it would be a good opportunity to bring him on and uh, and ask about that just to get his his take on, you know, what the – the locker room dynamic is after tons of trade rumors swirl around. But my next question is, will the specter of the Mitchell saga loom over the season at all? Because obviously there were lots of guys dangled in that, in those trade scenarios. Like there's honestly not a single name we didn't hear come up at some point, you know, it was pretty much the whole locker room. Like the one rumored deal was RJ Mitchell Robinson and like three firsts at the beginning of the summer. Uh, then that slowly but surely started morphing into like, okay, it's going to be like two out of three of OB, uh, Emmanuel Quickly, and Quentin Grimes, plus like Evan Fournier and, you know, multiple first round picks or whatever. And there was, you know, uh, different permutations about whether like the Lakers would become involved in some way, which sort of implied like, oh, maybe Julius Randle would get shipped out to the Lakers or something like that to, or like Derek Rose or, you know, veteran help to go to the Lakers so that they can send more compensation to the jazz. Like all these different things uh, and all these different guys were mentioned, you know? So I wonder a little bit if that's going to like, what effect does that have on the locker room? Is that going to drive a wedge between them? Is that going to sort of galvanize them all by the sense of like, ha, well, they tried to trade us all for Donovan Mitchell. So Let's prove that they were right in not pulling the trigger and really show out this year. Or will it lead? I mean, maybe my better guess would be that it would probably lead to about 50-50. I feel like you can't ever just have a full unification of everybody in the locker room like that after a big trade saga. Like some guys are going to look at it like, well, this sucks. Like (laughs) I was floated in trades all summer and that makes me feel really bad. Like I really have put it all out there for this team and now I feel like I'm not being appreciated. Other guys will probably come in with the chip on their shoulder and be like, well, I always wanted to be a Nick anyway, so I'm really glad they didn't trade me and I'm going to make them regret even thinking about it, you know, and and in a weird way, like do well by the fans, but also kind of stick it to management by being so good. And then there's probably some other guys that are just totally unfazed by it and are just going to be like, whatever. (laughs) It's like Derek Rose. Yeah, Yeah, I I would imagine Derek Rose probably falls under that category. Like, Like, whatever. I've been in the NBA for so long, like, 
I've been traded like three times now. Like this is nothing new to me. So I don't know, Gavin, what do you, what do you think? We're, this is all just us like speculating. Cause obviously we don't have, we don't have like men on the inside or whatever to tell us how these guys are reacting. But I, I just think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic to see play out throughout the year, especially once the, the media that have been so vocal about not getting to talk to these players all summer, get to go there, like their first pre and post game media availabilities and start, I would say lobbing these questions. It's going to be more like hurling Jacob DeGrom 102 mile an hour fastballs at these guys uh, asking about the Mitchell saga from over the summer. I mean, I'm just really curious to see how it's all going to play out. Yeah. I think, I think most of these guys are going to feel relief at still being Knicks and at least from the outside looking in, it seems like there's such an incredible camaraderie, I think, led by the Obi Top and Emmanuel Quickly relationship. But I, I think Quentin Grimes is in on that. I think Jericho Sims is in on that. Deuce McBride is in on that. RJ Barrett, I again, this is totally speculative, totally outside looking in. But I think he's he's sort of the big brother to all those guys, even though, as, as we keep saying, he's he's sort of in the, in the middle age range wise, and if anything, slightly on the younger end out of that whole group. But I think he's almost a little above it all because he's the guy with the pedigree. He's the guy with, I think, to some extent, like he doesn't quite have this pressure just because expectations haven't been that high, but relative to what expectations are, the weight of the world on his shoulders, like if someone's going to bring New York back, he's it. There was a report coming out of the trade, I I think, from Ian Begley. Apologies if that's wrong, but it was that James Dolan wasn't overly upset that they didn't get Mitchell because he thinks RJ is the kind of star that can attract people to the garden and he has that kind of charisma and like whatever questions I have about him as a player, I think as a, as a representative for the New York Knicks and as, as sort of the voice of the team or, or the co-voice of the team, as long as Julius Randall's here for better or worse, like he's, he is that guy. Um, so to me, all these questions really rest on him because I think um, IQ and OB and Grimes will all look at it as like a mix of, I'm happy to still be here. I'm going to prove that it was the right decision to still be here and I think RJ will fall into that latter camp for the most part. But I think he is the man with the biggest gripe as the person who had the weight of the world put on his shoulders has gone through sort of, I mean, obviously 2021 was a great year in some ways, but in other ways, like three years of BS with how the Knicks, at least until the second half of last season, didn't seem to totally prioritize his development. And before that, I don't think, and and I still don't think, have really set him up to succeed in terms of surrounding him with the right kind of players and the contract that they gave him was a very good one, but it's also a little lukewarm compared to what guys like Garland got and what Zion got. And obviously, what I mean, Luca's in a different category, but what Luca got the summer before. And you can say that's totally fair based on his play. But if you're RJ Barrett and you say, hey, I was the number three pick, I was the number one recruit, I averaged 24 points per game the second half of last year. I think on some levels, he's got to feel like a little disrespected, but. To me, the only way that manifests itself, given who everything we know about RJ is, all right, I'm going to go out and prove that I deserve this and so much more. And that personally, I'm sure he thinks I am a better player than Donovan Mitchell. And I'm going to flash that as soon as this season. So to me, I don't know about you, RJ is the main guy I'm watching out of that group in regards to all of this. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and, And I don't think it would even be necessarily like I don't think that he's gonna necessarily take a leap even because of the Mitchell saga if anything maybe it'll just give him that like like I don't I don't know RG's kind of hard to read like I don't think he's like Kobe where or like Jordan where he like makes up things to motivate himself like you know like there's all the stories about Jordan and Kobe where they would just like come up with all these slights and be like 
you know, Michael Jordan was like convinced that like the world thought Clyde Drexler was better than him, which is why he had to publicly embarrass him in the NBA finals. Like all this other stuff where it's like, I don't think that's really the case, Mike. I think everybody thinks you're better, but you know, you know how the NBA goes, like everybody's got their flavor of the week. So someone else might win the MVP one year, but like everybody still acknowledges you're the best player. Like, but you know, in his mind, he's like, Nope, Nope, that's it. Everybody thinks Clyde Drexler is better than me. I'm going to go whoop him like up and down in this, in this NBA finals. And, you know, Kobe modeling himself after MJ used to do much of the same things. And, I, did, I think that RJ has that same style of like work ethic, but I don't know that he necessarily needs those sort of like external things to motivate himself. I feel like he just kind of is like, I just want to get better and I want to prove that I'm really good. And like, I don't necessarily need to do it just because I think that people think that Zion's better than me or John Morant's better than me. Although I'm sure some of that goes through his head, just maybe not to the extent of like a Michael Jordan. But like, yeah, I, I think that he sort of, is going to be the the big guy to watch too because he was the one that was also sort of seemingly the tipping point of the Knicks basically removing themselves from the Mitchell trade talks as we learned, you know, days after the Knicks handed him his extension where they give him his extension and then it's like, well, the Mitchell deal isn't dead, but this certainly puts a damper on it. And then not like three, four days later, uh, Donovan Mitchell's a Cleveland Cavalier. So, you know, I, I think, his contract extension was sort of the symbolic end of the, the Mitchell trade talks at that point. Um, but yeah, the rest of the guys, I mean, I don't know. I like, I think that Obi Toppin almost is going to be going through more of the same stuff that he's been going through, through the years playing behind Julius Randall, where, you know, if Randall's still on the team and he's still soaking up 30 some odd minutes a game, I think Obi's just going to go through the same thing where he's like, well, you know, I got to be perfect or else I'm going to get yanked, you know, for Julius to get 38 minutes again or whatever, because that's just kind of how things have always gone for Obi. Um, you know, and IQ kind of same deal. Like, I, I almost wonder if they're going to be so preoccupied just fighting for their lives for playing time that they won't even really think about the whole Mitchell saga at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I think in the end, it probably is most, and, and I guess, you know, same deal for Grimes. Like, I think he's going to have to fight for playing time too. Yeah. So I think that's my ultimate takeaway. Like, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm curious to see what guys like RJ say when they inevitably get asked those questions. And I know that it's just going to be a diplomatic, nothing answer. Um, you know, so it's, I don't think it's going to be that interesting, but you know, it's, I, I just am curious if they're if they're going to allude at all to the fact that that whole saga is motivating them in any way, or if they're all just kind of like whatever, like <laughs> it happened. It's a business. I could have gotten traded, but I didn't, and now I'm going to show out on the Knicks because, to your point, and I totally agree. I think these guys do all really like each other, at least especially in that like young core. Uh, and I would include even like it seemed like Fournier really kind of gravitated towards those guys. Uh, seems like Rose has a pretty good relationship with like quickly, um, you know, Randall always seems to have a good relationship with the guys like off the court or whatever, but on the court, it always seems different, but who knows what the dynamics like there. But mostly I feel like this team seems to really get along. And so I'm sure in many ways, like you said, they're probably just happy to still be together and, and still get to play another year together and hopefully build something, you know, that maybe get a winning record this year or something, find some new hurdle to cross. Uh, and, you know, better themselves this coming season. 
And, and, and to bring this full circle, I mean, talking about Jalen Brunson's impact, like just seemingly another fantastic dude to add into that mix who I think will fit in pretty seamlessly from a, a quote unquote culture perspective. And that this team is again, like I not personally, but in a basketball sense, like Julius aside, like full of really unselfish guys. Um, and you get that from your point guard. It, it kind of goes on down. And I think that is going to have a cascading, very positive effect for the Knicks. And if the vibes are good, I think the Mitchell trade and who was offered and, and what was offered will be forgotten pretty quickly. But that is a, a optimistic note. It's always nice to end a Knicks podcast on an optimistic note for us to wrap up on. Remember, we still got seven big questions to go. I'm not sure if it's going to be this week or next week. Where we're going to try to continue that series where we, we interview some of the Knicks Atlantic Division and Eastern Conference rivals. So stay tuned for that. Lots of fun stuff. Season coming up soon. We'll have all your coverage right here on Locked on Knicks. So subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe where you get your favorite podcast. Leave a five-star review. We really do appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Peace out.